Whoa. Before we get started, I want to go over the four sponsors for this episode who make all this possible. They're fantastic, so go show them some love. The first is the best URL in the industry, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, driving mass adoption. That's why we're all here, right? To get every human on earth a digital wallet and to get them using digital currencies. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and a new card payment. Everything you could want is at Crypto.com. They've been longtime supporters of Off The Chain and recently announced a new exchange. So go help them out, download their app from the App Store, or visit Crypto.com and tell them Pomp sent you. There's nothing better in the world than a company helping to drive global adoption of this new technology. Another part of global adoption is making sure that we secure the various blockchains with computing power. CoinMine has built the best consumer experience in mining. Hands down, no competition. If you want to help secure the blockchain and get started in mining, you can go to coinmine.com slash Order a CoinMine, it'll arrive at your door, and you simply take it out of the box, plug it in, and connect to your Wi-Fi. You'll be mining your favorite crypto in five minutes or less. It is honestly magical. I have one running right now here in the office, and it's super quiet, it's got no heat, and every person that comes in the office asks, what is that? Every single person asks. It's a coin mine. The best part to me is that the coin mine comes with a mobile app that's super slick, and the company continues to push over-the-air updates to the device that add functionality, add tokens that can be mined, or increase the efficiency of the device. Similar to how Tesla does car software updates over the air, CoinMine's sending these passively to thousands of CoinMines around the world on a periodic basis. Pretty damn cool. When Farboot and the team pitched me on the idea of an Xbox or PlayStation-like box that could mine cryptocurrency in your home, I was immediately sold. I invested in the business, have a device personally, and keep telling people to go to coinmine.com pomp so they can save a lot of time if they want to get started mining today. And CoinMine has a partnership with our third sponsor for this episode, BlockFi. BlockFi is one of my favorite companies in crypto because they allow users to deposit their assets in a deposit account and immediately start earning interest. Think about it. If you keep your digital assets on an exchange or in cold storage, you aren't benefiting from any yield on the asset. With BlockFi, they allow you to deposit crypto and then get paid interest on a monthly basis in crypto. Deposit Bitcoin and want to get your interest payment in ETH? You can do it. Deposit Bitcoin and want to get your interest payment in Bitcoin? You can do it. The rates at BlockFi are currently some of the best in the industry. You can earn 6% interest on Bitcoin, and you can earn up to 8.6% APY on GUSD deposits. I'm an investor in the company and think BlockFi is building really important and compelling infrastructure. So go check them out at BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com slash POMP. And that brings us to the last advertiser of the episode, eToro. These guys have absolutely crushed it over the years. Their founder, Yoni, was one of the original Bitcoin OGs and has been ahead of almost every trend in crypto. He built eToro to help people buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies, but he added a few twists, social trading, copy trading, and virtual trading accounts. Social trading is a feature where every asset available on the platform has its own separate social feed where people talk about the asset, share trading ideas and analysis, and even include various charts or graphs. Virtual trading accounts is targeted at beginners. If you're just starting out and want to try trading with play money, eToro will give you a virtual account with $100,000 in it to test, learn, and get comfortable. And so, then that brings us to copy trading, which is by far the coolest feature. This allows you, as a user, to select any other user's portfolio to copy. If you see someone on the platform you like, you can set your account to mimic their trades. They buy Bitcoin with 5% of their portfolio, your portfolio buys 5% Bitcoin. They sell 50% of their Ether position, your portfolio does the same thing automatically. Copy trading is awesome, so go join the 10 plus million other traders on eToro and start trading all the most popular cryptocurrencies today. They're one of the largest companies in the space, and you can get started by going to eToro.com. Again, that is eToro.com, where the entire team's ready to get you started in just a few clicks. And don't forget, go subscribe to the Off The Chain daily newsletter. You can go to offthechain.substack.com. I write a letter of news, analysis, and opinion every morning that goes out to more than 40,000 investors. See you there. What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Chris Marzalak is the co-founder and CEO of Crypto.com. In this conversation, we discuss the obstacles to mass adoption in crypto, how companies are currently expanding product lines in anticipation of the next bull market, why Crypto.com recently launched a new exchange, and what it has been like living in Hong Kong recently, given Chris's 15-plus year history in the city. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. 
Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Chris here who uh, who's calling in from uh, Hong Kong. So thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me. For sure. And so you obviously had a, a life before Bitcoin and, uh, and crypto. Uh, maybe let's start with uh, kind of growing up in, uh, in Poland and what that experience was like. Oh, that was quite fun. Um, I don't want to bore you too much with you know my childhood days, but that was a different country. Uh, in the 80s still, you know, before we switched to uh, democracy. So it was an interesting upbringing and certainly uh, lets you appreciate uh, all that you can enjoy right now in the free world. Um, but I'm just a, a company builder. I've been building companies my entire life. Uh, this is Crypto.com. is my fourth startup. Got it. And, and as you... Um started thinking more about Bitcoin and crypto, like what was the first moment that you um, saw digital currencies and, and kind of got excited? Like, like what kind of grabbed your attention? Uh, the first time um, I looked at Bitcoin was at the uh, over Christmas uh, 2013. Uh, so I just sold my e-commerce startup at that time for around 20 million. And I was thinking, you know, what, what should I do next? Mm, and uh, the BTC price was going crazy at the time, so I looked into it. Uh, uh, but then, you know, we, we all got goxed, basically, right, soon after. Uh, so I kind of forgot about crypto. And the thing that brought it back for me was uh, the DAO hack in mid-2016. So I read an article in, in The Wire about it, and I was like, $150 million on something like this. I mean... Isn't this thing supposed to be dead? <laughs> I mean, that's where I was left off, right? Uh, right after the Mount Gox, it seemed that crypto would never be able to recover after that. And uh, here we are. So I looked at it, and uh, at that time, I was just at the very uh, uh, early days of, of, of uh, our business. And we looked at entrance into getting distribution as a fintech startup through a debit card with like perfect interbank exchange rates, kind of like, you know, reinvent the banking. Uh, and we combined it with crypto to, to turbocharge the, the, the challenger bank offering. Uh, and now it's been over three years and the thing came together quite nicely. Yeah. And, and so let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the challenger bank situation, right? Because I think what most people have seen, at least in the Western world, for sure, is um, we've got the legacy banking system that uh, are not very technology enabled is probably a, a nice way to put it. Um, but in every other aspect of our lives, we've seen industries that uh, have been updated by uh, the technology. So whether that's user experience, that's functionality, et cetera. Um, and now we're seeing this kind of like assault on uh, the banking industry by technologists. And so that's coming from the crypto world, but it's also coming from more kind of fintech, right? So things that don't necessarily involve uh, crypto or blockchain. How do you see just on a kind of macro structural level, um, you know, those challengers uh, competing with the legacy banks who, who may have other advantages, whether they're regulatory or um, the capital resources, et cetera? Yeah, no, um, I think banks are, uh, are wonderful competitors. I mean, they're just so bad at it, um, universally hated. I'm yet to find a person who will say, I just love my bank, you know. It just doesn't happen in the real world, right? Um, so you're, you're right that uh, uh, they have advantages. They have the balance sheets, they have, um, you know, all the licensing and all this stuff, right? Um, but startups are very good at uh, starting with something simple uh, and then getting distribution and then building all the things that the banks have today, but, but we're building it in a, in a way that's better, right? So when, when we started, we thought, okay, we're just going to offer you know, uh, a fair deal, uh, transparent uh, uh, fees or basically no fees on your FX, uh, no annual fees, Basically, not screwing your customers. It seems like it's a very basic thing, but 
banks just operate differently. And other challenger banks that came mostly out of Europe, like Revolut and Monzo, I mean, we were starting, they were all like, you know, serious A stage. Now they are like multi-billion dollar unicorns, but they follow the same principles. Give the customer a fair deal, make sure that you've got great UX, low fees. I mean, this is the, the ultimate combination, the financial incentive to join uh, and get the new product uh, and the user experience just doesn't suck. Uh, and that's enough. And over time, as you get distribution size, you know, you're building all the infrastructure that uh, the banks have today. The difference is that you know, some of the banks are running on you know, AS400 mainframes even today versus you know, we, we, are, we, are, we are built on a much more advanced modern tech stack. Got it. And, and how much of those legacy banking issues do you think are customer service related? So just you know, the, the um, kind of uh, non-technological elements suck? versus it's actually a technology problem. Um, and if they had better technology, uh, they could be solved. I think it starts with the culture. So there is lack of customer centricity. Um, uh, there's no risk taking. Uh, there's no innovating for customers. Uh, and everything just flows from that. I mean, large banking institutions are just uh, you know, full of people who are busy playing Game of Thrones rather than focusing on what to do for the customers, right? And, and everything flows from that. The kind of decisions they make uh, in terms of their tech stack, the kind of products they build and you know, designed by committee and all this stuff, right? And by the way, you know, I, I understand that banks um, have regulators on top of them and you know, they need to be compliant and all this stuff. But even if you look at this, right, they're not doing a particularly good job. I mean, banks have been uh, fined to the tune of tens of billions of dollars since 2009, right? So even that thing uh, is not done well. So I, don't, I think it's just a wonderful... Um, I mean, if you, were, if you were to pick a competitor, I mean, competing against banks, I think it's great. Got it. And, and how much of um, kind of that, that culture, that's a really interesting way to look at it. It's just like, hey, the culture sucks and they're focused on the wrong things. And so everything kind of top down from there uh, is messed up. When you think through that culture, um, you know, compare it to the crypto culture. Is it things around like sovereignty, um, self-reliance, et cetera, uh, or the ele other elements to it that crypto brings to the table that you think um, kind of put the crypto businesses or crypto native uh, companies in a better position to serve customers? I think it's more about uh, the culture of the company than the whole crypto ethos. right? So the, the basic stuff like you know, um, having a sense of ownership uh, being focused on, on the customer, you know, being really humble, the, 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 the basic stuff, being a clear thinker, uh, uh, that's just missing in, in the entire banking environment. Um, so I would just, just separate this completely. And in, in terms of crypto, uh, we view this as kind of building blocks that we can use to come up with uh, new value propositions for customers. I mean, give them more reasons to to try out crypto and see, you know, if we can do a better job than a traditional financial institution. Uh, but those two things are a little bit different. I think that uh, before you start talking about things like, you know, you can uh, get the control of your money back or, you know, you know, you can control your data and identity, which, by the way, we think is a basic human right. But before you talk about this kind of high-level stuff, for the mass market user, things that matter are, you know, uh, what kind of value uh, does this bring to me and, uh, today, right? What kind of problem does it solve? I mean, things like, uh, you just look at our offering, right? Our, our cards, you know, 3 4 5% cashback, interbank rates, no ATM withdrawal fees. Um, in terms of the, the interest rate that we offer, much better than any bank would offer, right? So this is the stuff that people understand. It, it just addresses their direct need today and it makes their life better today. So after they actually get to use it and they see the product and you know they, they think it's great, right? they become advocates and then they start to you know, be more open to understanding you know, how does a, what is a distributed ledger technology and then how does Bitcoin change the world. Uh, but I, I think if we want to have mass market adoption, we have to start with the customer value first and technology needs to come second. For sure. And, and so 
as you kind of take that mentality, let's talk a little bit about crypto.com and kind of where you guys originally started and what the vision for the uh, business was. Again, so we started as a, as a, as a, as a company that wants to challenge the banks, right? And, uh, and our vision today is cryptocurrency in every wallet. So we think that it's, uh, in terms of the impact, you would be hard pressed to find anything else, uh, uh, you know, in the technology field that, uh, that you can work on that can change how the society works. Arguably, things are not really going very well recently. You know, you've got, I don't know if you've seen the great hack, but, you know, you've got, uh, you know, people using big data sets to influence elections, uh, to erode, uh, you know, your democratic rights. Um, not to mention that you've got uh, massive data breaches and all this stuff. I think it's 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 time that people really get back to control of their money, data, and identity. And blockchain uh, has the potential to deliver on this promise. Uh, of course, you know it's uh, there's a long way from uh, uh, from where we are today to when it's actually going to happen. But Bitcoin has shown us that it is possible. For sure. Oh. And, and so um, walk us through kind of the products that you guys offer today, right? So as you think about building out um, a, a challenge or to the banks, obviously there's kind of a couple of components, right? One is the the promise of uh, better customer service, better um, kind of sovereignty for individuals, et cetera. Two is the products you offer. And then three is kind of the, the regulatory um, environment that you uh, operate in. Let, let's focus on the products for right now and just kind of walk us through the product suite that you guys have. Yeah. So um, at the center of it is a, today is a custodial wallet, um, which is arguably one of the most powerful wallets for crypto you can find out there. Uh, we've got more than a million users uh, on it, and uh, you can do all the basic stuff like you know buy crypto or fiat, uh, move from fiat to crypto, from crypto to fiat. There's like 50 coins on it. Uh, you can earn interest on your coins. Uh, you can get instant loans. You know, track your portfolio. All this functionality is just beautifully designed product, and it's paired with uh, with a metal Visa card. Uh, where you can move from crypto to fiat and spend it. So the, the card itself has got great perks. You can get like 3 or 5% cash back on all transactions. You can get access to lounges for, for free, you know, free Spotify, Netflix, something that matches the, the lifestyle of a crypto user today. But most importantly, it, uh, it gives people peace of mind because, you know, you've got access to your money uh, that sits in crypto basically 24-7, 365. It's very powerful. And to complete the, the ecosystem, we're building our own public chain, uh, which essentially works as a replacement of payment networks like Visa or MasterCard. And we just announced uh, uh, a, a, a cryptocurrency exchange uh, where we'll have full institutional offering starting with spots, then you know, next year, uh, margin trading, lending, and derivatives. So it's an entire ecosystem. Like essentially... Whatever you need for crypto, just go to crypto.com and you have it all in one place. Got it. And, and as you think through that product offering, do you think um, each one of those products kind of replaces uh, a product offering from the legacy world? Or do you think about kind of these crypto native products, right? Things that maybe you can't do in the legacy world, but through technology uh, in this world, you can build? That's a very good question. Look, we've, um, we're quite pragmatic. Uh, so I, I don't believe that in today's world you can you know roll out uh, this type of service these type of services to millions of users globally um, uh, without doing things like you know compliance, security, privacy. Right. So we're building we're investing heavily in this infrastructure that allows us to be innovative but at the same time compliant. I mean we were like the first company. Uh, in crypto space globally, it has ISO 27001 certification and, you know, cryptocurrency security standard level three, PCI DSS, you know, all this stuff that keeps our platform compliant and secure. We are investing in it um, yeah, just because you have to. And, uh, and I, you know, realistically, people who are building even like decentralized finance protocols, 
And they, they didn't technologically reach this level of decentralization, which would uh, allow them to just say, okay, you know, I don't need to get this license. The license it just doesn't work like this, at least not today. Got it. And, and, and you know, one of the things that uh, I keep thinking about is crypto, decentralized finance, et cetera, stands to uh, be fairly disruptive to the legacy um, banking system and, and the financial system. But it feels like those competitors, right? The people that the challengers are trying to disrupt, they're not even paying attention yet. Um, do, you, do you kind of get the same sense or do you think that they're actually paying more attention than we realize um, and they're kind of working quietly in the background? I think that we are, as we, as, uh, as the industry stands today, we are we're a super, super small niche. I mean, there's a little over 50 million people in crypto space globally today. Uh, so you're, you're right that a lot of the um, uh, you know, almost everybody kind of ignores this, uh, which is great because uh, that gives us more time to build uh, the technology and the infrastructure that you need to support a large-scale business uh, before bigger players go in. That's great, I think, for for us. Um, the, the other aspect of it is that I think there's way too much tribalism within, within crypto space. I mean, everybody should realize how small we are comparing to the broad um, finance. I mean, from payments to, to finance through all the way to, to trading. Uh, crypto is super, super tiny today. So we should all come together and instead of competing for this, you know, small, relatively small size of a cake, we should work together in um, an open, collaborative manner uh, to expand the size of the market. That's why we, we, we always try to work on initiatives that grow uh, this industry and, and grow the adoption of crypto uh, rather than trying to just compete against players from within the industry. Got it. And, and as you think about that um, kind of collaboration, um, th there's obviously a lot of things that you guys are doing. Um, but one of the, the pieces that I want to spend some time talking through is uh, the card. And, and kind of um, the user experience that almost, you know, or most people in the world are used to of pulling out a piece of plastic or metal and, and swiping it um, has uh, really allowed uh, traditional companies to add various currencies behind that experience, uh, various banking partners, vendors, et cetera. You guys are trying to, um, you know, really push that with um, crypto behind it. Maybe talk a little bit about how you're doing that and then what the reasoning behind making such a big push into uh, the card uh, really is. People understand um, how does a card work and um, you know, having a Visa brand on top of it brings instant credibility and trust and brings instant utility of the product because you now can use it in 50 a million locations and the perks are great so you know it's better than what you're using today for your payments and it, it basically kills any bank card uh, just purely on the um, on, on how favorable the terms are um, so I think it's a great uh, tool to uh, get people in because in, you know we are early adopters. So we are very comfortable trying out new stuff, figuring things out by ourselves, right? Uh, but people sometimes need something a little bit more familiar to get into it. And once they're in, you know, they, they can comfortably absorb uh, more information about this whole crypto thing. Um, we are now uh, live in, in Asia Pack. Uh, we are live in 49 states in the U.S. We'll start shipping to 30 countries in Europe uh, in January. So this is like the only crypto card that is available pretty much globally. Uh, and it's a really high quality product. So what we get out of it as a company is basically a very strong word of mouth. It's a conversation starter. It's just we see it clearly that people who have the card in the world, they just transact heavily on the platform and use other services. Just makes perfect sense. Got it. And, and in terms of, um, you know, kind of competing on, on a uh, product by product basis, one of the biggest things I've seen crypto companies run into is obviously the regulatory challenges and obstacles. 
Um, you guys are uh, based in um, Asia. You, you specifically live in Hong Kong. Maybe talk a little bit about how you think through um, the regulatory challenges that uh, crypto companies, especially ones that are trying to provide true financial services, face versus um, the kind of legacy banking world and maybe the advantages that they have there. Yeah, so we try to do it in stages. So uh, the first thing you do is you partner up with people who already have licenses. So for example, uh, for a card um, uh, issuing, we partner with Metropolitan Commercial Bank in New York, uh, who are a principal member of Visa, and if they have a banking license, and they can just issue cards all over the US. Uh, we've got a similar uh, deal with uh, like $20, $30 billion uh, uh, fintech uh, player in Europe called Wirecard. Uh, so we just basically piggyback off their existing licenses and infrastructure uh, to get the product to the market first and start getting distribution. Once you have distribution, uh, and you know we are getting there because we already have more than a million customers on the platform, uh, you can uh, start getting your own licenses. And on one hand, you've got things like you know MTL licenses in the states or EMI licenses uh, in Europe, but also you know you can become a direct partner with a company like Visa for a principal membership, right? So. As a startup, you need to think about what is achievable and how do you get to the market with the value prop for customers faster so you can get distribution. So then you can be uh, optimizing your cost structure and you can be in more of control of your product and destiny by getting all those licenses by yourself. But it's very difficult to do it from day one because it's a multi-year process. So now you know we've got uh, you know, a team of a little over 200 people around the world. Uh, we've got customers on the platform, and we're getting this stuff uh, done by ourselves. But you need to do it in steps. Got it. And, and so let's talk a little bit more about um, kind of where we end up, right? So you've got these challenger banks that uh, are going after um, the legacy banking system. There's this regulatory framework that exists. Um, there's some people who will argue that the rules need to change. There's some people that argue the challengers need to play by the rules that exist because they're not going to change. Um, but, but how do you see um, kind of these two different forces, right? The legacy world um, and the challenger banks kind of colliding in the future. Is it a thing where uh, the legacy banks end up having to acquire some of these crypto startups and challengers? Uh, or do you see there being a, a kind of a, a winner crowned and one or the other strategy ends up um, being uh, victorious in the end? First of all, I think that the entire industry is going to be regulated just like traditional financial services. So if we fast forward three years, three years from today, I mean, crypto trading is going to be fully regulated. You know, all the services uh, that uh, are not banking but look similar to banking are going to be fully regulated. So we are already working on this to be ready. Um, whether there is going to be uh, M&A activity, it really depends on what kind of scale we can reach uh, or other players in this industry can reach. Uh, so if you look at the, the typical challenger banks, uh, uh, a, a clearly successful example is Revolut. Right? Revolut's got a user acquisition machine uh, they are not losing that much money. Uh, capital is on tap for them. Mm, they can go from, you know, whatever they have six, seven million customers now, they can go for 25 or 30 million customers globally. And they don't need to sell. They don't even have to IPO. And then if you look at things on the crypto side, you've got, uh, you've got companies that uh, have robust revenue generating engines. Like look at Binance, two, two years and a billion dollars in revenue, right? Uh, that's uh, much more robust than the typical uh, challenger bank. So they have absolutely no need for, for capital, right? They can just grow organically. Uh, so um, I, I think these type of companies are going to be very expensive uh, acquisition target down the road as they mature and as the regulatory frameworks uh, mature over time. So obviously, right now, and even in the last two years, if you saw any deals in the crypto space, there are massive discounts being applied because of the perceived regulatory risk. Over time, this is going to be fully regulated, so it's just this discount will not be applicable. 
So that's the, the way I kind of look at it. But for us at Crypto.com, this is a purely metaphysical conversation because we are building something that is by definition not for sale. Yep. And, and, and as you think through that, like how do crypto corporations right, or companies um, in this kind of global uh, decentralized ethos based world, um, how do they think about alignment with investors, uh, value creation, value accrual? Like do some of the core tenets of building a company change um, or do you as an entrepreneur think of a lot of the same types of mechanisms and aspects of company building? It just happens to be that the outcome changes wh- where you're not looking for um, kind of the acquisition at the end. Yeah, I think it's a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, I would say that fundamentals stay the same. You still need to build a great, great team. You still need to deliver a product that uh, does the job for the client. Um, and you need to generate revenues and you need to be profitable if you want to have staying power. So uh, I also, you know, I am f- I'm all for uh, building solutions that are censorship resistant, right? But applying this type of philosophy, like, okay, let's have a decentralized team and, you know, decentralized decision-making and decentralized governance, right? This is not how you build stuff at scale in the real world. So, you know, people should go back to the basics, I feel. For sure. Um, and, and then you're sitting in, uh, in Hong Kong. You've been living there for uh, you know 15 plus years. Maybe talk to us a little bit about um, kind of the situation uh, and kind of what you're seeing on the ground and, and given the kind of historical context you have over the last 15 years. Look, it's a, it's a tough, uh, tough situation. The society is uh, it's really split. And it, uh, what's happening here is really touching uh, the very core of a human being, things like, you know, their sense of justice, right? And when you go there, things just, they, they, they will never be reasonable, right? I've been here for now 16 years. Hong Kong is home for me. So obviously that's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very sad to watch this, this happen. It's arguably uh, one of the greatest cities on earth. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, I watch the news, but I remain optimistic. I think this too shall pass. And if I've learned anything in my 16 years in Hong Kong is that you just don't bet against Hong Kong people. Mm -hmm. They're they're a very resilient bunch. Yeah. And and do, do you feel like everyday life has changed? Um, or is it somewhat compartmentalized with the protest, et cetera, but the kind of average person, um, their life hasn't actually seen it, seen a material change. It used to be that it didn't have that much of an impact in your day-to-day life. Uh, but in the last two weeks, things have deteriorated so quite substantially. Right. And, you know, it's at the point where nobody can ignore it. You know, hopefully things will, uh, get better soon. Although, one could argue that probably they'll get worse before they get better. So I'll give you some practical insights, right? Like for example, in the last six months, um, you know, we've got like two days where uh, we told our team that you know, safety is, is your safety is our priority. There are going to be disruptions, uh, you know, citywide disruptions, right? So just work from home. Uh, last week was quite intense. But you know this. The flip side of the coin is that you know we've uh, we've uh, we've seen that the investment and time and effort to build a very strong company culture, where uh, where people take ownership of what they do and they take pride in what they do, regardless of you know us not being able to sit in the office for a few days. I mean, people didn't drop any balls, so it was pretty good. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, mother mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. 
Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry, your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you gotta do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine. It's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right. You purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi, five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp set you, and thank me later. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi, and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. You know, I always think about like there is a catalyst to social unrest. There are the means that are pursued um, to kind of uh, show that social unrest. And then there is usually some sort of conclusion, whether that is uh, a positive or negative, right? That there's um, you know very few instances in the world where uh, social unrest has persisted for you know decades, for example. Um, it feels like right now uh, we've got a good understanding of um, the catalyst uh, for, for what's going on in Hong Kong. Uh, and the media has done a pretty good job of covering um, kind of the uh, ways in which citizens are uh, showing their uh, unhappiness. But what I don't hear a lot about is kind of the conclusion um, and kind of where uh, realistically um, the social unrest can uh, can conclude. Any thoughts there in terms of how you think this plays out? The reason why I didn't hear about it is uh, quite simple, because nobody knows. Uh, so uh, I choose to be uh, optimistic. I think that this place has been through a lot uh, over the last few decades, and it always comes out on top. And I think that this time will be no different. Uh, Hong Kong will emerge out of this, and it will emerge stronger. Um, but uh, you know, how long is it going to take, and what will happen between now and then? The simple answer is just nobody knows. Yeah, and, and um, has there been any effect on uh, your business, uh, either positive or negative, in terms of the social unrest? Do you see um, capital flowing out of Hong Kong via crypto? Do you see? Um, you know, more people signing up, uh, or maybe you see the exact opposite effect that there's uh, kind of more um, concern either on a regulatory basis or, or due to the social unrest. Like, like, what's kind of the impact that you're seeing? Yeah, Hong Kong is a very small market for us. We've got a global business, so um, I can tell you that you know I've seen more impact from like the, the restrictions that Argentina put on uh, crypto purchases. We've seen a flurry of activity there. And there's not much difference in Hong Kong. Uh, I think the the, um, uh, the the city has probably seen like traditional capital outflows, like people are selling Hong Kong dollars and buying foreign currencies, and trying to hedge their risks by moving uh, capital out of the city into places like Singapore, for example. Right, that's a, a very common strategy uh, that that is that has been happening for months. Right. Um, and that's to a certain extent the cost of letting the situation spiral out of control. Uh, but uh, not much crypto impact today. Makes uh, makes sense. And then um, in terms of kind of the future outlook for uh, for crypto.com, uh, maybe help us understand, you know, where you, you see yourself going in the next kind of six to 12 months or the other things that are kind of on the horizon that you're thinking about. Um, or is it more of just execution on the things you already have on your plate? Um, and, and that's the focus. Yeah, so we just released our roadmap for 2020. Uh, so it covers all three key areas. So um, payments, finance, and, and trading. 
So on the trading front, uh, we're starting with um, the Spot ex Exchange, which is now in beta, and uh, it's going to be available to the public in December. Um, then in the first half of the year, we'll very quickly follow up with margin trading, lending, and derivatives. Um, and this, the, uh, in terms of payments, we've got um, continued expansion globally for our card program. So we've got a Latin America plan for next year, as well as you know, Canada and a few other places, uh, to have like really broad coverage of the card product and, and a global distribution network for that. Uh, on the payments front, also our public chain, which is now in testnet mode, we've got the second version of testnet out uh, two months ago. Next year is where we go to the, the mainnet stage. Uh, so that's going to be big for a big milestone for the company. Uh, and on the finance front, uh, you know, we are upgrading uh, our card product so that you will no longer have to convert from crypto to fiat if you want to have access to cash. We will simply extend credit lines based on uh, the uh, the funds you have in crypto in our in in the wallet in the crypto.com wallet, so that's like in line with our ethos, which is you know, if you distill it down to you know, we want to, you know people to be long crypto and and short fiat. Uh, so that's uh, that sounds like an easy concept, but if you want to roll it out globally, and again there are implications on you know, the re regulatory front, licensing and whatnot. So. The trading activities uh, with, with full institutional offering, the, the, the mainnet of our public chain, and uh, an upgrade to the card offering are just like the three core product uh, initiatives uh, for next year. Got it. And, and explain a little bit more about how that line of credit works. Yeah, so it's very simple. So you know, let's say you, know, you deposit um, BTC or XRP or ETH or whatever, and let's say you've got uh, $10,000 of uh, crypto in total in, in, in the custodial wallet. So we'll, uh, if you want to spend on the card, we'll just front all your spending for you uh, and you can pay uh, uh, interest on whatever you use from this credit line. And we're going to go for a super seamless user experience uh, and, uh, and friendly interest rates. So actually you keep the upside from the digital assets that you have and you only pay the interest on the... <clears throat> Uh, on whatever you spend. So access to the cash without the need to sell your crypto. That's what we're going for. Got it. And then I got to ask, you guys own crypto.com and uh, have been uh, longtime sponsors of, uh, of Off the Chain, which uh, obviously I and, and listeners appreciate. Uh, and I always call out that you guys have the best URL. Um, how'd you get the URL? Can I tell us that story? You know, when we started and when we did, we did a token sale in 2017 in the first half and uh, people very strongly associate us with the card because it's such a cool product, easy to understand and whatnot. But over time, it became clear uh, that what we're building uh, is the entire ecosystem that is focused on driving crypto adoption. Uh, so we looked at um, the rebranding options and you know, the easiest thing to do is just type in crypto.com into the browser and see what's there, right? And um, there was a lovely message from Professor Matt Blaze over there that's uh, talking about, you know, the fact that crypto stands for cryptography and not cryptocurrency and that he doesn't advise anybody to use this as a vehicle of investment or speculation. So I sent him an email, basically, and that's how it started. And... Uh, as an academic, as you can imagine, you know, he's, a, he's quite a character. And a very outspoken one. So uh, it took us a while to uh, reach an agreement. But the gist of it is very simple. You know, we always try to figure out uh, what are the potential reasons for someone to say no, and we just address them one by one. Um, and in my experience, when people see that you actually put some thought into it when you approach them and try to understand their concerns, they will be willing to engage. And, you know, he held the domain for wow. more than 25 years, right? And and there were, I don't know, hundreds of people uh, trying to 
buy it off him with uh, you know and being so persistent that you know it's, after the fact I actually read some articles about it on the verge that people were actually stalking him at the at the university and you know calling his landline and all this stuff crazy stories so he was quite adamant but uh, uh, we managed to to find a common common ground. Is there anything um, that you can share in terms of what his uh, his hesitancy was um, or any obstacle? Yeah. So again, I think he's he's uh, he's just he's a very well known um, expert in cryptography, right? So I think you know um, he wanted to make sure that this lands in in, in responsible hands uh, and that he's free uh, to express his opinions and typically you know there's like if you look at this type of um, transactions there's you know so much legalese around it and so many restrictions on both sides uh, uh, if you want to overcome this type of situations you just need to you know understand each other and there needs to be uh, a relationship of trust and i think establishing that uh, was critical for sure. And then, um, I, I'm assuming you won't answer, but, uh, y- you interested in sharing how much you had to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it just doesn't matter. You know, people always ask it, but realistically it, it has, like, it doesn't matter because, uh, if we achieve, you know, one third of what we want to achieve in the next 10 years, uh, this, the URL is going to be priceless. Um, so, it just doesn't matter. Plus, we are legally not allowed to say. <laughs> That's a good reason, man. Um, no, so so, so um, before we wrap up here, one, one of the things that I want to uh, spend a few minutes talking about is um, kind of this vision that you have, right, of um, every person in the world having a digital wallet, right? And I think that, um, that it's one of the key pieces as to um, you know, why you and I kind of saw eye to eye early on, um, was that vision is, uh, really important. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of how that happens. Um, and then what the impact on the world is, if we can get to that point. Yeah. So we believe that it's your basic human right to control your money, your data and your identity. And, uh, Bitcoin, uh, has demonstrated in a very powerful way uh, that it is actually feasible. It is possible. It's uh, uh, it's now done, right? Even you know you've got uh, U.S. congressmen saying that you know, crypto is an unstoppable force, and you know, every government that tried to stop it failed, right? So this can be done. It's very powerful. Now the question is: Can we take this insight that you know you can you can have this decentralized technology um, that eliminates the need for uh, for an intermediary? Uh, can we apply it to other areas of life? Mm, I f- I believe really that uh, the, the the anti-Facebook, for the lack of a better world, is going to come out of the blockchain space. Uh, and and the society just needs it. Like I don't know like about you, but you know I've got a uh, my son is about to turn three. Uh, if I extrapolate what is going on with big tech and government overreach, you know, like fifteen to twenty years, uh, I, I, I you know, if you layer layer on on top of this, you know, the advancements in in AI and we're ending up in a in a surveillance society that is very unhealthy. So blockchain has the potential to help us build a healthier fabric for the society. And um, I'm not saying that crypto.com is going get to get it all done, by, by not, not, no, no, by any stretch of imagination, no. But we think we, we have a role to play to just making the size of this industry bigger. So the next time when there is a guy who has some breakthrough idea, you know, I don't know, an engineer living somewhere in Moscow or in Dubai or wherever, right? Uh, that he will get funded. Uh, that, uh, uh, that that the technology will be adopted and it will be scaled, and 
collectively as an industry, we just change the world for 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 sure. And, and what, one of the things you just said there is super interesting to me, right? You, you put ownership of money, ownership of data, but also you put uh, identity. And one piece I continue to think through is that the digital wallet can be the source of identity in the future um, in this digital world. You agree with that um, or have any kind of nuanced views as to how that happens? Yeah, I actually, when I think about identity, I don't really think about it as, you know, in, you know the, the traditional sense of the world, of the world, like, you know, your passport or your, your Hong Kong ID or your driver license. I couldn't care less about that, right? But these days, uh, everything you do uh, online is fingerprinted and the large tech uh, platforms like Facebook or Google they know more about you than any government. You know, they know more about you than your mother. They know more about you than you know about yourself. And if you add to it the ability to, you know, like blanket the blanket coverage of you know entire cities with HD cameras, you know, microphones and AI on top of it, uh, that's uh, I think that's a very big problem, and I don't think it's very healthy. So, uh, how do we? You know, bring the balance back to the force in Star Wars parlance. Uh, how do we make it a little bit healthier uh, for the next generation? I think that's uh, that's one of the fundamental questions of our time. Got it. And, and is your thought process here, um, you know, over time there is a um, evolution from those kind of government-issued uh, identifications, uh, or is this a you know, kind of abrupt decision by somebody who says, uh, hey, you know what, I'm going to kind of move over into the alternative digital world um, and I'm going to uh, exclusively operate there. Like, like, how does that transition happen? I think it's going to be in small steps. And uh, you, know, you will see, first of all, you know, governments are you know, migrating to, uh, to blockchain tag just because it's easier to manage this type of stuff, right? And... Um, and there are, there are some you know, simple benefits to it, right? But again, you know, I don't think we can uh, go away from this you know, country by country issued IDs and whatnot you know, very quickly. Uh, it will be a gradual evolution. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I personally don't subscribe to this you know, this nationalistic view of the world. Uh, there's a lot of people in this space specifically who view themselves as citizens of the world more than a citizen of any given country. And I think oh, if you if you look at the, like a, a couple of decades down the road, the world is going to continue to get smaller and smaller. And the differences between us are going to be uh, reducing as well. So who knows? I mean, you can see like, for example, in Europe, right? I mean, I can take my... Polish ID and then just go anywhere freely within Europe. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it, it, there, there's it's it's not uh, impossible to see a future where this can be extended to to cover the whole the whole the whole place. For sure. Um, before I get into the rapid fire questions, uh, what have you learned uh, over the last couple of years building in this space? Like, what, what's your one main takeaway that you could share with entrepreneurs? Yeah, this time around, because again, it's uh, it's my fourth company. From day one, we've invested very heavily and thought so much about culture and how not to screw it up. Uh, and now three years down the road, this is starting to pay huge dividends. I'll, you know, I'll give you a few stats, like almost 60 70%, almost 70% of our uh, team has been recruited through personal referrals. So you build the team slower if you do it like this, uh, but it's just such a solid foundation to, to build on because people, you know, they, they worked with each other before they know each other. There's already uh, uh, a relationship of trust. So it's, it's, much, it's much stronger uh, and, and better teamwork if you, if you build your company like this. So when I was uh, in my 20s, or in, uh, I, I read about how important culture is for a company. Uh, but now I've seen it firsthand that it just makes uh, 
just such a huge difference. And as it is today, culture, great cultures are a competitive advantage. People come to work for capitalism purely based on this. Uh, and of course, you know, I've got cool products, this is a cool space and whatnot, right? Uh, but the strong culture is so important. For sure. For rapid fire questions, what do you think the most important company in crypto other than crypto.com is? I don't think it's the company. It's just Bitcoin itself. It's a great answer. That's usually my answer. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, one regulation would you change or improve if you could? I would kill the bit license so that we can finally ship to our customers uh, asking for crypto.com's products in New York. I normally would ask what your most controversial thought is, but I got to ask you about the controversial ads you put up all over San Francisco. Uh, many of these are things like uh, the $22 trillion money printing machine. Is it going to stop anytime soon? Uh, or plan B, et cetera. Tell us a little bit about that ad campaign. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we believe in what we do and we want to connect with people like us. Right. So, um, by the way, that, that billboard about the 22 trillion printer, you know, which will never stop. Right? It's kind of out of date by now. After three months, it's already 23 trillion now. <laughs> kind of proves the point. Um, yeah, but this is about the crypto ethos and why are we doing this, right? At a very fundamental level. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. Like this is this a decade ago. There was this powerful TED talk. You know, it's not what you do; it's why you do it. What's the most important book you've ever read? The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's just uh, so authentic. This is the life of of a company builder, and it's a true page turner. And I actually very frequently give it away and uh, to people I, I come across. It's such a great book for sure. Um, aliens, believer or non-believer? I'm a non-believer. Non-believer? Uh, oh, no. no. <laughs> statistically, you know, maybe there is something out there, but uh, statistically, we also will never find out. Why do you think, why do you not believe if statistically it's likely that there is something out there? Look, I mean, there are trillions of, uh, of uh, I mean, the universe is big, right? Um, but, you know, I just don't subscribe to this, uh, you know, Area 51 type of mentality that, you know, somebody uh, visits us here and then had some impact on how we evolve. I think uh, there, there's uh, the random part of it, you know, evolution. That's, I, I think this is more realistic view of, of things. Of course, at the same time, uh, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time is Prometheus because I absolutely love the idea of space exploration. You know, I'm a huge fan of Elon, right? Uh, and the idea that, you know, that there is something there, I mean, it's, it's cool. I, I like this, uh, the, 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 the intellectual aspect of it is very pleasant, right? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that I would believe in. Likewise, you know, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God either. That's fair. What, uh, what one question you have for me to, uh, to wrap this thing up? Where do you get all the energy from? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it's very similar to your, the answer that you had earlier about um, things, that, uh, things that I get excited about. Um, I don't hide that, right? It, it, it's kind of this, uh, this level of uh, authenticity of what you see is what you get. Um, and so when I'm excited, you're going to know it. When I'm mad, you're going to know it. Um, and uh, I, I've always lived my life uh, with kind of a couple of core uh, beliefs. And two of those are uh, one, that enthusiasm is contagious. And so uh, the more excited you are, the more um, kind of positive you are, uh, the more that those who are around you uh, kind of follow suit. And so you can change. Um you know, people's attitudes and outlook, uh, just through pure enthusiasm, uh, frankly, even if it's fake, um, but, 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 uh, especially when it's real, but on the other tenet, I think is that, um, the, you know, the, the hardships in life or the battles in life, if you will, uh, half of it is literally just showing up every day, uh, ready to tackle the day. Um, and, and so I think a lot of people, uh, they try to outsmart each other. They try to do all this stuff. But I've just had a belief that uh, 
I, if you outlast everyone else, you win. And so if you think about um, from an energy standpoint, uh, it's just showing up and realizing, look, I don't have to be the smartest person. I don't have to be the fastest person. I don't have to be the first person in everything. But if I just have consistency uh, and energy, um, that's you know going to put me way ahead of uh, most other people. And, you know, that formula sounds pretty simple, uh, probably even sounds cheesy to some people. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's a formula that works and it's easy to identify, but it's really, really hard to execute because a lot of people, um, you know, I always joke and say, uh, it's that random Tuesday where they're writing something or they're uh, creating a podcast episode or a video and for the last three weeks, they haven't gotten as much engagement or distribution as they want. Um, their, their ideas aren't kind of resonating with people in the way that they want. And they just say, you know what, I'm wasting my time, right? And they walk away uh, versus um, if you think about, you know, take the podcast, for example, I did 150 episodes in the first year, right? And in the beginning, there was really not that many downloads, but over time you build an audience and, and it just takes time and effort and, and showing up. Um, and so if you look at, you know, the largest podcasts in the world today, they didn't get started yesterday, right? Many of them are, you know, four or five, some even 10 years old. Um, and, and so it just takes a lot of, uh, consistency. And so if you know that that's what it takes, then you just got to show up every day with energy, right? And so, uh, however you do that for yourself, whether it's, you drink a bunch of coffee, uh, you get a lot of sleep, um, or you're just excited about what you're doing, you know, just show up and, and have the energy and uh, the rest kind of takes care of itself, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're I 100% agree with the, the, the contagious nature of, the, of, of your energy. I think you're a great asset to the entire industry because, you know, we, we need people like that with that level of energy. I also agree that, you know, never ever giving up and just being tenacious and the grit, this is, this is how you win. Uh, and it's actually much more rare than one would think. For sure. Well, it, it's, um, I, I tweeted the other day, I said, you know, persistence is a superpower. And, and it's just this belief that, um, you know, you, you're chipping away at something, right? And uh, th there's this great um, image that I've seen, uh, and I've talked about it on a podcast before, but, but it's just, it's like seared in my brain. And it is uh, two guys, um, each of them is in a, a separate tunnel. Uh, one of the guys is um, at kind of the beginning of his journey. He's got a pickaxe and, he, and he's picking away at a, um, you know, a, a rock-based um, kind of wall. And at the end of uh, the image is, uh, I think it's gold or diamond or something. And so he's got a long way to go. Um, and, and he's really, really, uh, you know, it looks like he, he's sweating profusely and he's picking away, trying to get through that wall to get there, but he's a long way away. And the other guy in the image has already picked through the entire wall and he's got, you know, just inches to go to get to the diamond, but he's got his pickaxe dragging on the floor and he's walking away. And it's just this image of, you know, you never know how close you are to the breakthrough, um, and, and to me, it is uh, less about, hey, where's the finish line? And it's much more about um, if you focus on the process, the results kind of take care of themselves, right? Um, and so part of that process is you got to show up every day, got to be enthusiastic. You know, frankly, you got to try not to just be stupid um, is another one of my favorite kind of views of the world is if you just avoid making dumb decisions, uh, the smart decisions um, are the only decisions left. Um, and, and so that game of kind of probability is super helpful, but I think all of these things are just more around, you know, how do people think, how do they approach what they're doing? Uh, and again, that focus on process will, uh, will ultimately take care of the results. Absolutely. No question about it. There's, uh, so many people who stopped three feet from gold. No question. <laughs> For sure. Well, listen, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, like I said, you, you've been an incredible supporter of, uh, of Off the Chain and then obviously, um, you know, really driving um, a lot of product innovation uh, to get um, you know, kind of adoption of uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and so I'm excited to kind of see as you guys continue progressing. Um, and, uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Where can people go find more, um, about the company and the various products? 
Yeah, there's uh, uh, an easy to remember <laughs> URL, crypto.com, or Twitter uh, at crypto.com. Uh, there's a lot of news coming out every single week, so it's it's, it's a good place to stay in touch. Um, and thanks for having me on the show today. And uh, yeah, I hope that next time we can do it in your studio in New York City. You got it, man. You, uh, you when you come to uh, New York, we'll definitely have to uh, to get you on video. You're you're, uh, you're prettier than me, so at least people can stare at you. <laughs> oh, that's just uh, not factually accurate. <laughs> but let's discuss this face to face next time. Absolutely. All right, man. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.